Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Called Bank, where we have a look back at the NBA draft and at the start of free agency. We've been talking about how we thought the Jazz were just pretty much going to, you know, pick up a couple assets during the draft, but more or less just roll it back. And boy, are they rolling it back, not to the 2019-2020 season, but to the 2018-2019 season by going and picking up Derek Favors for a guaranteed two years plus a player option. Um, That was a super awesome use of the mid-level exception in my mind. It's going to put them a bit over the luxury tax, and I'm not sure if they're going to be able to maneuver out of it or if they're just going to be happy with that. Obviously, I feel like that's kind of a one-season deal. Next year, while they will get to the point where soon they're going to have to be paying Gobert and um, Donovan on their extensions, I don't know when those will start exactly. They will hopefully be able to re-sign Conley to a more Derek Favors-esque deal. Um, A bit more expensive, since Conley will obviously be a starter. But the Jazz, I feel like, have set themselves up very well for the future. I know there were concerns with Derek Favors on the Jazz. But the one thing that he did was he was able to be the equivalent of Rudy Gobert on the second team. Um, So the Jazz really dropped off. They were in the 80th percentile for defense um, with the starters on the floor. And then when they went to the bench, they were in the 52nd percentile. So they were just league average. And their overall defense just dropped this last year. So by bringing favors back, especially not bringing someone in who doesn't know the system, but bringing someone in who we know works in the second unit is just going to be lights out for the Jazz on defense. We might still see some of um, Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert playing together, but I don't think it's going to be a lot. And overall, I think that it's worth it by having just that second um, unit surge on defense. And I know I've said that like three or four times, but that is what's so big about getting Derek Favors back. Yeah, and that's something that the Jazz were really missing last season is they really built their whole system around having a player like Rudy Gobert there. Um, Having a traditional big man who could protect the paint, was an incredible defender, was a lob threat. And now in this offseason already, they they picked up Derek Favors, who he's not exactly Rudy Gobert, but he he has a lot of those same attributes. He has a little bit more of a mid-range jumper and a little bit less, and he's not as long, so he's not as much of a lob threat. But also in the first round pick, um, they got a center that is very much like Rudy Gobert. Um, and if he develops right, he might, if, if the Jazz are super lucky, he might turn into like a Rudy Gobert. Uh, but he's seven foot tall, seven foot seven wingspan. Uh, he was really defensive focused in college. Uh, he's a lob threat. And just like Rudy Gobert, he has no jumper. He was a 44% free throw shooter in uh, this most recent season in college. But I think that the Jazz, I think going into this offseason, that was a major concern that they had. And they addressed it. Um, and they, I think even before they signed Derek Favors, they were confident in what they had or what they were going to get because they traded away Tony Bradley on draft night. And then they traded away Ed Davis before free agency started to the Knicks. So they completely went, took their centers off the roster, got the 
new guy whose name I can't pronounce and I don't want to mess it up. And then got um Derek Favors. It looks like overall they're now putting a tiny bit more money into the backup center role. But like you said, that's what the Jazz have built their team around. And from what I've seen and from what I've heard, the consensus is is that you should play the same type of basketball for 48 minutes. You shouldn't try to have two different styles um, on the first and second unit, especially because those players overlap as much as they do. So overall, I think the Jazz have definitely said our identity is having a good defensive center who does have offensive play around the rim, but more so is just a solid defensive center. I completely agree. I think also with their what they've addressed in the draft and free agency, it's interesting because I feel like uh, their draft picks and the two players that they signed so far in free agency, which I'm guessing that's going to be it. I don't know if they have any cap room unless they're going to sign someone for uh, a veteran's minimum or something like that. But they they picked up Azabuki in the first round and they signed Derek Favors, which... Um, they're definitely not the exact player, but they're very similar players. And then they re-signed Jordan Clarkson, who is a scorer. And then they picked up Elijah Hughes in the second round, who is a scorer. So I think um, what the Jazz realizes, I think they, they knew they had the right pieces. They just needed more of those right pieces. And so I think the we were talking about this a little bit in the in our draft special, but the interesting thing about the 2020 draft was that there are players, even in the late first round and second round, who are going to be contributors uh, sooner than you would expect a second round player or a, a 27th overall pick to be, because there wasn't, like most drafts, you have a lot of talent up front, and then mostly question marks throughout or maybe just really good athletes but they don't really have the basketball IQ or basketball skills but there are a lot of good shooters in this draft and that's what Elijah Hughes is he's not an incredible shooter but I'm sure he'll develop and he has a size to play the the two or the three Um, he's he's able to drive a little bit finish down low so I think that will really help the Jazz secondary with the moves that they made so far so that Jordan Clarkson doesn't have to have the ball 100% of the time and take 100% of the shots now that they have other shot makers and another center to take care of the defense on the second unit. And that's part of the reason why I think overall um, the first unit is going to work better is because if you do have um, Gobert and Favors out on the court at the same time, what it does is it gives you so much defense, but so little shooting. But now, if you're pairing that with Conley, Donovan, and um, Bogey, you have three lights-out shooters. Bogey being the best, Donovan being the second best, and you know if Conley comes out and plays like he was able to play in the playoffs, you have three just players who can light it up from deep from deep. And so that definitely makes favors less of a liability since you have Gobert at the rim and it just puts him in a really tough tough spot. But it definitely just gives the Jazz more offense, which you didn't necessarily have um, when that was, I believe, Jay Crowder and um, 
and Ricky Rubio on the starting lineup. Jay Crowder definitely had his flashes, but Rubio rarely had flashes. And so the offensive consistency on that starting five has went up a lot. Um, obviously, you still have two players who want to be at the rim, and there's only one rim. Um, but other than that, like it just seems like it will be a lot more effective, and the Jazz can score with that lineup on the court. From what I've been seeing around the league, most teams came into the draft and offseason with really one main focus. Um, like the Mavs came in and they just said, okay, we need perimeter defense. Or other teams said, okay, we need shooting. Um, other teams say, okay, we need, we really need a point guard or a big man. But I feel like the Jazz came in and they realized, I kind of mentioned about, talked about this earlier, but they they kind of needed a little bit more of everything they already had. And so I think that was kind of a unique strategy because uh, it's not like they were targeting their defense. It's not like, oh, our defense is awful. We need to fix it. Because even at their worst, um, their defense was still pretty good except for a couple breakdown games or um, that one stretch during the season that they just lost everything. Um and their offense, when everyone was healthy, was pretty good. But neither of them were really elite. And neither of them were something that you'd expect to be a favorite coming out of the first round. So I think just adding a couple extra defensive pieces, a couple extra offensive pieces, um, adding bringing Derek Favors back, having that veteran experience who knows the team culture. And it's only been a year since he's like been off the team so i'm sure he knows the system really well so that's going to that may be a huge benefit for them coming into this team when you don't really have a real training camp you don't have time to get all the new pieces plugged in and so he can come in and i'm sure just have a refresher and he'll be able to play like he used to play so that that may have been one of the things on the uh general manager's mind when they were targeting Derek Favors. And here's one of the biggest thing with Derek Favors that I don't think we've mentioned yet. Joe Ingles is going to have a resurgence this season because Derek Favors is back on the team. If I remember correctly, that was one of the most efficient pick and rolls in the league 2018-2019. And that's one thing that Joe hasn't had when he's with the second unit. He hasn't had anyone to run the pick and roll with who's good at it. Like, I mean, Ed Davis and Tony Bradley, really great guys. Tony Bradley definitely was improving and it's kind of sad to see him go. But overall, the decision that was made to pick up um, Azabuki and to get Derek Favors is better for the long-term future of the team and definitely just sets up Joe Ingles to have a lot more success in this um, in the second unit. So I'm just excited overall because I feel like favors will improve so many aspects of the jazz and take them back to what they did well during in the 2018, 2019 season while not taking too much away from them being one of the best offensive teams in the league. Yeah. And I, I think the jazz have done a good job. I'm, I'm pretty sure the roster is mostly set. Um, but a couple weeks back, we were talking about what we thought the Jazz really needed. And um, we both kind of agreed that they needed more shooting. I think you were more thinking they needed a stretch four. 
and I was more in the mindset that they just need they were pro- they should probably be looking for more um, wing players who could shoot. Which uh, the only real shooter that they got in the offseason, I guess they brought back Jordan Clarkson, and they uh, picked up Elijah Hughes in the second round. Who, um, the tough part with understanding shooting is you don't know how well they're going to transition to the NBA three point line. But from what I've seen and read on him, I don't think it'll be a huge transition and he should figure it out pretty soon. But with the big men that they got, they didn't really add any shooting. So do you think they should be looking either in the trade market or do you think they should have made different moves to try to find a stretch four? So I said that they needed a stretch four. And what I did when I said that, um, and I realize this now, I was ignoring what the front office had been saying and hinting at um, just because I wasn't following that close enough. And I guess what Zanuck and what um, Lindsay had been saying is we need to get back to our defensive roots. And so while the shooter sounded really great on the offensive end and to sure up the, um, to do some better stuff with the second unit, I never really put two and two together that one of the biggest things that happened in that second unit was losing Derek Favors. And that the de- the lack of defensive ability of that second unit is what made it really not click. Since with Derek Favors on the floor, I mean, it stinks if you can't score offensively, but they're not scoring defensively. Oh, but um, They're not going to be putting points up on you. So doing that definitely makes someone like Jordan Clarkson in a puts him in a much better position where now all of a sudden he has someone who's a defensive linchpin and is able to let him go off offensively without what I felt like it was most of the time, which is him having to keep up with the other team to keep the jazz in a great position for when Donovan and Conley and Gobert came back in. So I feel like I was almost thinking that the jazz needed to go more of a shootout style and instead, what they did was, I feel like, keep their ability to put points on the board, but go ba- say, we have enough points, now we just need it not to be a shootout. And so I was thinking more modern NBA and not what the Jazz have like come to the top of the Western Conference on, which is more so defense than it has been the offense. But it was offense last year, but they're trying to get back to their roots of defense and keep the offense. Yeah, and if that's what they're going for, I think um, their offense, I don't know if it got much better, but like you said, good defense leads to good offense. And even if that's not on fast breaks, it's from you're not having to play keep up the whole whole time, which Jordan Clarkson, he did an amazing job at. He played ugly basketball when it was just the second unit, but... It was incredible to watch him go like one versus five on offense and still put up points. But I think that that does make sense. Um, the only concern though is, and I guess we'll see how they how they do this, but there's going to be a lot of doubters because modern NBA, sure, like good defense is important, but when you have good defense it's normally with players that can bring an equal amount or more of offense. So if you think about uh, some of the top defensive players that weren't Rudy Gobert, um, you're normally thinking of big men. 
and you're thinking of Giannis and Anthony Davis, who are just superstars on every part of the court. And Rudy Gobert is really the only star center out there that is defensive focused. And he he puts up points like he, he can fit into the offense, but it's not like he's an offensive threat. So I'm interested to see, like the Lakers kind of proved everyone wrong that everyone thought centers were going away and size was dead, but they proved that size still has a huge advantage in the NBA. Uh, maybe the Jazz will come in and say, hey, you can still be a defensive focused team and make a deep playoff run. Yeah, and I don't think that they could do that if they didn't have, you know, an offensive powerhouse like Donovan Mitchell, someone who can shoot the free um the three-pointer like Bojan and someone who is able to distribute the ball and it looks like create his own shot um like Mike Conley can and someone who can run the pick and roll like Joe Ingles can. I don't think that they could be successful without those things. Um However, like you said, I can't find the plus minus for last season overall, but I was listening to some projections last night um, by David Locke, who really knows his stuff when it comes to stats, talking about that the improved defense in the second unit, the point swing would, would lead, would have led to like eight more games won last year. And obviously that's a straight stat breakdown. You can't actually. You actually have to see it in practice and see those things. But even if you're losing some offense, you're going to just overall improve because you're going to be seeing um, less points on the uh, on the other scoreboard. Since every point that they don't score is a point you don't have to score to stay ahead of them. So overall, like they are losing some offense, but I still think that they're going to be a top eight top nine offensive team in the league next year. So if they're able to be top eight offense and top eight defense, that definitely puts them in contention for being in the Western Conference Finals because especially with Clay Thompson's injury, like what other teams are going to be in the top eight offense and defense? The Clippers, um, the Lakers maybe, the Bucks, the Heat, like I listed off five teams, but I don't think you're going to, I mean, I think you're only going to see three of the three or four of those teams pull it off. And that's what makes you an elite team is if you're able to have offense and defense. And sometimes you can do it with just offense, but it's a lot easier to do it with both. Yeah, I that's feel. true. Like if you look at the, the Golden State Warriors back in their heyday when they're just like, everyone knew they're going to win the championship. Everyone thought of them as the scariest offensive team ever, which they were because they would have lineups where it's just everyone was a lights-out shooter and it's just game over. You can't guard everyone perfectly, so they're going to get a three or an open shot down low almost every possession. But their defense was incredible, especially the um, their first run before KD came. Uh, their team defense was one of the best I've I've seen in the past. I don't know, like five ten years. They uh, because like obviously Steph is a defensive liability, but Clay is awesome. Draymond is awesome. They had Iguodala and Sean Livingston coming off the bench, and so they just really had awesome team defense, which I'd give credit to Steve Kerr. 
And so, obviously, the Utah Jazz, they don't have that same kind of explosive offense. But their defense, when they're really playing together, is better than that. And so, they might make up for the defense. Um, But I think the Jazz, they made really solid moves. Maybe even the best moves they could have made with the game plan of running it back. Um, And so, I think there's, there's nothing too crazy or exciting that happened because the on, the only thing was Derek Favors, and that's kind of cool in that it brought running it back to, uh, it's like a whole new level of meaning to that. But there have been some interesting moves in free agency around the league. Obviously, some of the bigger names like uh, Gordon Hayward, um, he hasn't made a destiny, he hasn't uh, chosen where he's going. Some of the front runners are the Atlanta Hawks and the Indiana Pacers. Um, and Fred Van Fleet, he hasn't made a decision, and I don't know if there's any front runners for him, but he has said he's going over, he's going for the most money, but he still wants to win, so he he's probably not staying with the Raptors, should be the guess. But there's been some interesting moves that uh, have been going on, as like Dwight Howard, he is no longer going to be a Laker, he is now on the Philadelphia 76ers which I thought was a really interesting move, especially after they they traded away Al Horford and now they have Dwight Howard to be with Embiid. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious of what Daryl Morey is thinking there and how that's going to work. And Montrez Harrell, he is staying in LA, but he's not going to be with the Clippers. He's moving over to the Lakers. So I think even though the Lakers have lost some players they may be even scarier now that they have um, gotten Dennis Schroeder and through a trade and they picked up some new players in free agency to replace the old ones so um, I don't know how closely you've been following the moves of other teams but has there been anything uh, really surprising or that you're intrigued by to see how it's going to work next season well to the Dwight Howard move, um, I just think it's hilarious that he tweeted that he was staying in Los Angeles, and then he quickly deleted that tweet and now is in Philadelphia. Um, on the note of getting rid of Al Horford, I think that's completely different than having Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard is going in there knowing that he's going to be the backup center. He signed a veteran's minimum. Um, like He knows he's going to be seeing bench minutes, where Al Horford wanted to be um, starting four. That's what he wanted to be with Joel at starting um, five. I might have those positions mixed up, but like Dwight Howard isn't expecting to start. He knows he's going to be a backup, so it's going to work a lot better. Uh, if you look at it statistically, when Horford was coming off the bench, like he added a lot to that 76ers team. However, A, that's a really expensive backup center, and B, that is not what Horford wanted, which I completely respect. Um, as for... Looking at other moves, I mean, Paul Millsap is still out there. I think that could be a really interesting pickup wherever he ends up. Um, just good veteran is able to still play super well and just brings a lot of experience. It's depending on, I don't know if you could, this is completely out there, if you could see him ending up on the Hawks if he doesn't stay in Denver. he's has the ability to shoot it, so that already makes him a, a semi-good fit. And just bringing that winning mentality to Atlanta and maybe bringing some defensive presence to Atlanta, which I don't know um, if they have any, but I haven't 
Schroeder to the Lakers is definitely a crazy deal. Um, obviously, some of the biggest news this week is Harden flexing on the Rockets and really wondering will he be playing there in the 2019, sorry, in the 2020 2021 season, or is he going to be moving along now? Are the Rockets just going to wait and lose him in free agency? Obviously, he said he wanted to go be back with D'Antoni on the Nets. Um, I don't think that works, first of all. Even if you're able to somehow get a trade, I don't think that that um, big three works. I just don't think it does. They all need the ball. They all need the ball, and you only have one ball. Um, If you were trading Kyrie Irving for James Harden, that opens a whole can of worms on how Kyrie's going to feel about that. Um, But that might work more. But overall, I just think it would put the Nets in a really bad spot, which I'm fine with losing another competitor in the West, um, losing the Rockets and having a team in the East that we're not going to have to face in the playoffs. Like, I'm fine with that. But overall, I don't know. I don't know if Harden was just trying to get the Rockets to make some more moves to keep him or if he wants out and if we're going to see him get out of there before December 22nd. Uh, from what I heard on that situation, and so th- this is what I heard Woj say about it. So he's normally right about these things, but this is so early on that uh, it it may be smoke and there's no fire. But it sounds like Harden, he hasn't like gone in and demanded a trade, but he's kind of said that he would like to be traded. And so with that, I think the Rockets, what their game plan is, uh, from what I heard is they're going to be patient with it. They're going to, because if they trade him now, his trade value is probably at the lowest. And so I think what they kind of want to do is show him off to the league again, remind them how good he is so that they can try to get the biggest return for Harden that they can. Um, and they'll probably go for a similar kind of rebuild as the Thunder so you may see the Thunder and Rockets holding like 40% of the draft picks over the next five years or something like that. Um, and then with that, you mentioned that it would be nice to lose another competitor in the West. It sounds like they don't want to trade him to the West. So they're looking to trade him to an Eastern Conference team, if at all possible. I'm sure if the West, if a Western team offers something, like if the, they get offered Damian Lillard for him, and no one's offering anything close, and I'm sure they'll go for that. But speaking of the West next year, I was anticipating the West to be incredibly competitive with probably 10 teams that could be worthy of making the playoffs. But now the Warriors, they're probably going to be a playoff team, but they're probably not a title contender now that Clay is out. If the Rockets trade, depending on who they get back in those trades... They'll, they're probably out of the playoffs. Um, the the Thunder were in the playoffs this last year. They're not going to make it this, this next year. Um, so there's like three teams that are just not as good as we were expecting them to be. And, and the only team that I can think of that has really emerged as a new contender is the Phoenix Suns. And I don't think they're, they're not really a title contender, but they can probably make it to the 
second round of the playoffs, depending on how everyone fits with the new roster with Chris Paul. So the Jazz may, um, if everything works out and they really play well together, you'll probably, the Jazz may be fighting for a top three seed in the West. So that's kind of exciting and something to look forward to. Since another big move that happened last night, if I remember correctly, um, is that Grant, Jeremiah Grant, I think, left the Denver Nuggets. And someone's probably going to fact check me and I'm probably going to be wrong. It is, well, I guess it's Jeremy. I don't know why I'm saying Jeremiah. Um, Jeremy Grant left the Nuggets, um, went to the Pistons, and I'm pretty sure he was the one who came back in game five from injury, and that kind of like sparked um, Denver to come back and to win that series. So that was just an overall big loss. And if Denver loses Paul Millsap, I still think they'll be a competitor, but they're definitely going to have lost some key pieces there. So, like you said, overall, the West probably won't be as strong next year. Obviously, the Lakers, the Clippers, I'm going to say the Jazz, um, and the Dallas and Portland will be fighting for a top four seed. Memphis is really going to be really good. The Suns are going to be really good, I think, with Chris Paul. Um, I don't think either of those teams are going to be fighting for top four seeds. And then depending on what happens to the Nuggets and the Rockets, they'll be fighting for a top four seed. So it's still a lot more deep than the West, sorry, than the East, but I don't think it's going to be nearly as deep as it was this last year. I think you're right on that aspect. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. We have uh, free agency lasts, what, about a week. Um, there's only a handful of like big name players out there. I'm sure we'll see a lot of trades because there's been a lot of GMs and coaches out there saying that their roster is not nearing completion. And so um, it, it will be fun to watch both where some of the bigger name free agents go, uh, like Paul Millsap and Gordon Hayward. Uh, those are the two of the biggest, and they were both former Jazz players. But also to see what kind of trades are going, because there's some teams that are just selling everything, like the Thunder, and there's some teams that are buying anything because they want to win now. And the Trailblazers have been one of those teams. Um, there's some teams in the middle, like uh, the Mavericks, where they're buying and trying to win now, but at the same time, they're not trying to sell away their future because they already have sold quite a bit of it away. But it'll be fun to watch. Um, I'm looking forward to it. The season starts in like a month. So we're going to get a lot of basketball news and then a lot of basketball here pretty soon. So I'm I'm looking forward to see how the Jazz do. I am too. I, I'm i really excited for the season to tip off here in one month and to see the Jazz hopefully make a push for it. Make sure to join us next week on Called Bank. Um, please rate and review us wherever you listen to us at. And if you're listening on YouTube, please make sure to subscribe and ring that bell if you really desire. Thanks so much again for listening and have a great week.